Yeah, Ethan, I think one of the early revelations of being a sports writer in talking to your friends about an article or something you're working on is they don't even look at the byline. Like we're so wrapped up in sports writer world and Twitter and who says what and who writes what that like when I read like a news article, very rarely am I looking at the byline. And I realize the flip side is is the same for for sports fans. It's like I who cares where who wrote it or where it came from? Like it's it's juicy. Did this happen for you when you were covering the heat? They think you write for the heat. They think you write for the team. That's a common yes. that's a common thing I would always get. It's just you write you write for the Warriors. And I mean, I know a lot of Cavs fans around 2016 would probably agree with that assessment, but it it, it was just yeah, there's there's no conception, nor should there be. They're a normal world. God bless them. The other funny thing about it is going back to what we talked about about newsbreakers. Nobody cares. Like the people who care are the people who work in the industry and the however many thousand nerds who want to who, by the way, only care in an effort to signal to everybody else how sophisticated their like understanding of the game and their following of the game. Uh, oh, you guys don't know who broke that? Huh? That was so-and-so. That was Shucky McJuckerton, right? Like, oh, yeah, I've been following Shucky since he had only seven followers. Like, Who gives a shit? Nobody cares. None of this matters. The information matters. The people the, the people bring you the information don't matter. And the biggest tentpole or, or flag for this is the prevalence of accounts like NBA Central that players retweet. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, 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 that's how you know it doesn't matter. That's how you know. <laughs> well, I think it, it matters to a degree. It's, it's illustrative of having certain connections and having a certain amount of power. But I, for the life of me, to what you're saying, who does that matter to? It must matter to somebody because newsbreakers, they get paid the most money. Now, I don't say that with any jealousy because I could never do what they do. And their life, it's hard. Newsbreaker life is hard. You rarely meet a happy news in the NBA. I rarely meet a happy GM and I rarely meet a happy newsbreaker. Those are two jobs that are very high paying that people think they want, but I don't think they actually want that kind of job. And they're all about giving up parts of their life. You read about how uh, how Shams doesn't doesn't play pickup basketball anymore. And uh, Mark Stein says that he hasn't seen a movie in over 10 years and they have to be near their phone all the time. And it's it, to what you're saying. I mean, it must be a real thing in that you get paid a lot of money to do it. But I would wonder if I were doing it, just what's the point of it all? You know, if a train was about to hit me, I would wonder just what was the point of this whole thing? The only person that I've noticed who doesn't seem to be miserable and is a newsbreaker is Schefter. Mm. He once did a podcast with me. This is a humble brag or it's just a straight brag. He once did a podcast with me on the Haber show. While watching his daughter play soccer, like at soccer practice, he's like, hey, uh, yeah, let's talk NBA. Um, I got like 45 minutes. I'm at my daughter's soccer practice. It was outside. He was having a blast. He just loved it. I was like, you just seem like all sunshine and rainbows. Obviously, he has a stressful job. He's got to report breaking news all the time. He owns that beat. But it's the only person that I've really felt like is genuinely and maybe I'm misreading this, genuinely just like a happy, positive and happy-go-lucky guy while having a very high-stress job. Maybe that's a football thing because Jake Laser sort of seems the same way, right? Oh, yeah. He, he seems like he's having a great time. He's growing it up with John Travolta and Matthew McConaughey. 
grilling burgers and watching, you know, UFC or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is, man. Maybe these people all have dark secret lives or they're just eternally depressed and morose. But then the camera comes on like, hey, <laughs> it's time to put on the happy face. I've heard that Tony Kornheiser is a way different uh, energy on camera versus off. Um, and he's definitely a guy. I mean, it's authentic either way, but that's just a heightened part of him. that's totally different from the guy you get in private. And then sometimes, I mean, Stephen A. Smith comes to the media room and Stephen A. Smith is Stephen A. Smith, at least in my experience. He's always on. It's gather round children and hear about why the Boston Celtics are really falling apart. I, I was, <laughs> God, he was out there. I was just having, I felt like I was on the first take set. It was incredible. It was, uh, there was more nuance to it. You could sell tickets to it. Stephen A. only has one mode, I guess is what I'm saying. In all my time at ESPN, I did one hit with Stephen A. It was Sports Center. Can't remember what the topic was, but he went first. Thought, that is so dumb. I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say it was crack. And whatever he was talking about, I was so enthralled by the way he said Zaza Pachulia. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> They're not gonna say that about Zaza Pachulia. It was Kerry Champions Sports Center. Kerry says, "I mean, what do you have to say to that?" I said, "I just want to hear Stephen A. say Zaza Pachulia again." <laughs> Zaza Pachulia, <laughs> the yellow Galinari. <laughs> there was a certain melody to Zaza Pachulia that he really relished. He relished saying so uh, or, or, or uttering. So like, uh, but you know, it was one of those things where like I sat down and I realized, oh, this is not like a regular conversation about sports. This is a Stephen A thing. And I was like, you know what? Give the people what they want. So I just like ended up teeing him up on stuff like <laughs> just because I wanted to see him do the Stephen A Smith thing. I am fascinated by him. I want to know where the crazy work ethic comes from. Because I was hearing a story about how he walked in and he said, basically, that's my office now, somewhere in Bristol. It wasn't in Bristol, buddy. <laughs> I think it was a long time ago. I'm oh, okay. trying to remember what it was. And okay. uh, and it's not how they did things. It's not a star system at ESPN. You know how it is. It's the shield over the player over there. And somebody said to the new higher up who was against it, listen, just let him do it. This guy is going to save you. He's going to save you. He's going to sleep in that office in order to give you what you need, in order to give you a hit, in order to just keep all the shows going. And he does. The guy is a maniacal hard worker. And I'm so curious, curious where that comes from. Which is funny because when you when you read those stories about that the NBA doesn't want Stephen A. Smith on the premier programs on ESPN, and I'm like, that's the guy. Mm. Like, that's the guy. I mean, they're always in a weird, delicate balancing act where, dude, can we even talk about this in public? Can we talk about? Can we talk about Tom? Because you might want to work for ESPN in the future. I feel like me and Amin, me and Amin are just whatever at this point. I'll work there again. I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> Do the old Keith Oberman. You know, you're yeah. in, you're out, you're in, you're out. It depends on what you're about <laughs> to say. And then it's the it's the Ethan Show podcast. Yeah, it's just me. It's just me. You, know, you can hide behind my opinions. But why has the NBA television product been such a viper pit? I wrote about it, but I didn't get into that broader aspect of it where somebody is always knifing somebody especially uh among the women it seems like they're always kind of set up it feels like that scene out of dark night where the joker cracks the pole cue in half and there are three people now our operation is small but there's a lot of potential for aggressive expansion so which of you fine gentlemen would like to join our team oh 
There's only one spot open right now, so we're gonna have tryouts. If you want to join Countdown. Is it just that inside the NBA is just Michael Jordan? That's Mike. Like, that's Michael Jordan. Mm. Everyone's trying to replicate something they cannot replicate. Maybe. Like, there are careers and teams that try to emulate Michael Jordan and the Bulls or Phil Jackson, whatnot. But, like, maybe at the end of the day, trying to be that show is a fool's errand. Yeah. Yeah. You're already screwed. Um, You have nowhere to go. Uh, They have... The most famous sex jocks. Uh, you can't compete, really. I heard sex jocks. Did anyone else hear sex jocks? The most famous sex jocks, which is now uh, Shaq's <laughs> nickname he's given himself. <laughs> so you can't you can't compete. So maybe that inspires a little bit of angst because at ESPN you're supposed to win. But I don't want to hijack your show, guys. I love you, I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool. This is a robbery. You fucking pricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haber Show. That's the Amino Hassan. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haber Show. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haber Show. That's Amino Hassan. Paul Pierce is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend along with Chris Bosh, along with Chris Weber. I think Rick Adelman is in there too. Jay Wright. So what's the connection between Charles and Jay Wright besides Philly? Like he played for the 76ers. He's presenting him. Paul Pierce in a story by Chris Mannix because everyone cares about the byline and who wrote it. Shouts to Chris Mannix at Sports Illustrated for this sit down he had with Paul Pierce. And Paul Pierce was just an open book. He was authentically just like, why do I need to apologize for the the whole uh, stripper thing on, on IG? He didn't even know that IG Live could be recorded. He's just blissfully unaware. And I was struck by the fact that he refused to apologize. It reminded me of Ethan Strauss's mm. PR strategy, which is in most times you will never, ever be able to pacify the angry mob. It's funny. We talked about the dad principle and in the group chat, our producer, Anthony Mays, is like, what's what he Googled it and couldn't find what dad principle was, D-A-D-D. So, Ethan, take it away. Don't apologize, double down. It's the public relations theory I believe I pioneered a decade ago. Other people <laughs> are starting to – they're getting wise to it. They have different names for it. But it's obvious that in a social media setting, apologizing works to your disadvantage. Now, in a personal setting with your wife, if you've aired – you should apologize uh, on an interpersonal level because there's trust and you don't have the mob mentality dynamic. But if you apologize in the social media era as a public figure, it's just a signal that it's time to stab Caesar. It doesn't help you at all. (laughs) And the people who support you feel less inclined to support you and they're not going to have your back and they're not going to defend you. So you really just have to double down. I know that encourages sociopathic behavior, I didn't make the rules. I didn't make the incentives, but that's just how it is. And he ended up getting in the Hall of Fame. Well, yeah. <laughs> here's here's your reward. There's a story where he was he was suggested by his aide uh, to go and apologize or talk to Jerry Colangelo, who's the head honcho at, at the Hall, chairman of USA Basketball, outgoing. And he goes um, at KG's induction ceremony dinner. He goes over to talk to Jerry Colangelo, and Jerry was like, "Yeah, I think uh, I think you should apologize to the masses. You never know what people th- are thinking when they see you on that IG live." And he goes, 
Apologize for what? I need Paul Pierce to apologize to my son. I'm just saying. It's, it's terrible. Jerry said, you need to apologize. He said, you probably should apologize. Like, I, I, I don't think it's going to impact your Hall of Fame worthiness, but in, but in terms of, like, you want people to know your side of it, or your, your take on it, rather than just to go with what they saw. So for that reason, you should apologize. And, and so Paul was like, so I don't have to apologize for what you say, <laughs> what I'm reading here. <laughs> and, it, and, and it's... As he's accidentally IG living his conversation with Colangelo <laughs> to the world. But it's perfect. It's perfect. And, and Paul, you know, Paul's thing was, look, I'm not married. I had a party. Uh, the uh, the strippers who were there were compensated for their time, were not harassed or, or abused. Yeah. Marijuana that was being smoked was purchased legally from a legal thing. And we're playing cards. And by the way, the strippers never actually, like the, all the videos that circulated, Wholesome they're just dancers. They were, I yeah. mean, they were just hanging out. I don't doubt that at some point clothes were removed, but in the videos <laughs> that I saw, and I saw a lot of them, they had their clothes off. Yeah, I, I studied them. I scoured. I had with to, a fine tooth comb, just for professionally. I had to look at. I had to scout. Like Kevin Costner's character going over the Zapruder film, just looking for some sort back of detail to the left, back <laughs> and to the left. To quote it, uh, to do the exact quote to get this right, Pierce's longtime agent Jeff Schwartz suggested Pierce apologize anyway. Schwartz wouldn't. Worried that the video might influence Hall of Fame voters, Pierce didn't. Quote, come on, I didn't do anything illegal, says Pierce. These motherfuckers in the Hall of Fame did some fucking cocaine, fucking battery. What the fuck did I do? I was just having a good time. And the people coming after me, happy motherfuckers do the same shit. You're just hiding it, it. And you all married while you're doing it. I'm divorced. I'm retired. I'm having fun. That's how it's done, folks. That's how it's done right there. And what's great, if you look at the social dynamics, and again, I'm not trying to train you on how to be a sociopath. I'm just noting that sociopaths tend to win and just trying to trying to allow people to defend themselves. There is an aspect, a game theory aspect, where people are going to jump on you if they don't fear that you might get them. What he's doing right there, whether he knows it or not, He's kind of putting it out there that if you come at me, your business might get talked about. I'm a loose cannon. I'm Paul Pierce. I might be secretly recording my next five interactions. Do you really wanna do you really wanna put that spotlight on yourself? That's how it's done. The way it was written in the article was like he basically threatened everybody and then days later he was in the Hall of Fame. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I think part of the problem is we don't know who the Hall of Fame voters are. And I think that that's an issue. We should know who the Hall of Fame voters are. Because when someone doesn't get in, I want to hear from the people who said no. I want to hear from the people who say, oh, yeah, I didn't vote for Chris Webber because, because, like, like I need that explanation. And so if Paul weren't to get in, I don't want to guess that it's, oh, it's probably because of the, the, the IG video. I want to hear from the people who didn't vote for him. Yeah, I didn't vote for him because of an IG video. Yeah, I would I would agree. Did you guys see uh, Derek Jeter kind of call out the one guy who didn't vote for him for the Hall of Fame? Yeah. So. And everyone's thinking it's Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe. Is oh, it? I love guys. It? I went. I rekindled an old flame. Talking baseball, guys. Mm. I tweeted out that Nomar's better. 
then I had all the stats to prove it from 1990. I even did some homework on baseball reference. Why would you do a thing like that? Here we go. Not all the stats. There's one stat that. Don't do it. Don't do it, you fucking Yankee fan. Don't do it. I'm just going to say, man. It's just one stat. Bronx Bombers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Does it start with R and end with Z? (laughs) Lots of Zs. Five Zs to be exact. Get about it. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of action on that tweet and people were mad. People were very mad that on Derek Jeter's ceremonious day, on his sacred um, induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame, I had the tactless, I don't know what word they used, but it was almost like I was peeing in the cathedral by suggesting that when Nomar Garciaparra was on the Red Sox and they were at their peaks and granted – Nomar got hurt and then he was traded right before we won the World Series. I say we because I am that sports fan. Mm. Nomar's numbers were far superior than Derek Jeter's. And I was just pointing it out on Twitter and people got really upset that I would do that on Derek Jeter's day. As if Derek Jeter's looking on Twitter being like, this Tom Haverstrow guy. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, A, yes, you were being the skunk at the garden party. But B, you might be selling yourself short. I mean, Jeter's calling out that one voter. He might be looking. He might be looking for the person who doesn't give him his full credit. Um, I get it. I get the backlash. I'm not bothered by what you're doing, but I do think people have the sensitivity to it now of you're ruining his big day. It's like a, a bride's wedding. You know, you're ruining, you're, you're wearing the same thing. What are you doing? You would it's do that this kind of thing. on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you would teat that. A man who dishonors Derek Jeter is not a man. Well, I got to hand it to Derek Jeter because without him, I'm probably not sitting here with you guys. Without Derek Jeter, I'm probably not writing blog posts about why his defense is the most overrated thing in the game. His his whole aura, the mythology of Derek Jeter is the reason why I got into sabermetrics, analytics, the numbers, whatever you want to call it, because I would listen to WFAM. And I would hear Mike Francesa and, and Mike and Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, just talk about Jeter and every every sports radio pundit just oh just over themselves about Derek Jeter. And I was like, this this dude is like a really good contact hitter. And why do you hate excellence? Tom, why do you hate excellence? <laughs> and you know, he over here, Nomar is hitting, you know, more more power. He's not striking out every time he gets up to bat like Derek Jeter does. And defensively, people would just watch him do that running, that that signature running to his right, backhanding it, jumping in the air, so majestic and throwing the guy out. We forget about all the thousand other balls that just he doesn't get to because he can't move. He can't move. You show me the video or the picture of Nomar with a cut on his beautiful face. <laughs> first of all, he, he, to have he a jumped in the face. stands. He needs to have a beautiful face, first of all. And second of all, get a cut on that beautiful face. Put that beautiful face on the line for the team, for the win. And then afterward, take that dis, you know, disfigured, beautiful face and go on a date with the hottest women around and give them gift baskets afterward. Mm. When Nomar does all that, we can have a conversation about him yeah. being uh, uh, like an elite shortstop. Otherwise, there's only one name at the top of the list: the captain. If Jeter had what Pierce happened to him, wouldn't that just burnish the the legacy? I feel like got there would be no pressure to apologize. Well, not that aspect, but oh, the, the stripping his oh, pants oh, and getting ca- carted off in a wheelchair. Oh, no, well, no but, it, but see, but Jeter, Jeter's Jeter's Jordan. Jeter is hmm. Jordan, right? In the sense that I think he's more Tom Brady. No, he's Jordan. 
because like Brady's more of a family guy and all that shit. But like Jeter's Jordan in the sense of like everything was meant to be a conquest, including relationships. And uh also the image that I present to the public is extremely polished and like not just polished, is the example people hold up for pro athletes. This is how you should be behaving. Uh and in reality is it's it's a facade. That's not who he is as a person. It's just the public image. But we like that apparently. We want athletes to be boring, I think, is the lesson of Derek Jeter. Sports writers want athletes to be interesting. Fans might want athletes to be boring, or most most fans want athletes to be boring. Or if they're interesting, well, they want them to be aligned to their own fantasy projection of what that per- yeah their fantasy yeah. right what it is it's a fantasy yeah and Derek Jeter as a winner and winning in everything fits with being a capital T capital Y true Yankee and so that's the stuff that just makes me nauseous is the idea that like this organization that t- to this day. You cannot, I mean, right now would not be able to play for the New York Yankees for various reasons. Chief among them that you're probably not that good at baseball, but also because you have a beard. The standards. The Yankees will not let you have more than a mustache. Mattingly, I thought I told you about those sideburns. (laughs) I used to, good reference, I used to be so against that and go, what is this fascistic? They can't have their facial hair. This is ridiculous. But the older I get, the more I just kind of like that that absurd tradition exists and it exists for a team, that that's what you got to do. And also it gives you a nice little thing. And a baseball team that hits a ball with a wooden bat isn't allowed to wear facial hair. I kind of like it. (laughs) Tom, you want to have a big old beard and your name on your jersey like a little kid, and then thumbing down the crowd after you get... You can go take the subway, go down the fucking yeah, city Queens. field, go to Shea. This, this is real. This is tradition. This is the greatest sports tradition that this country has. There is no franchise that measures up to the New York Yankees in terms of success, in terms of ubiquity, in terms of uh, uh, a, a piece of their uniform that has literally just become just fashion. No one even questions that this is a sports thing. It's amazing to me when I was living in New York how baseball crazy that town is. It's it's uh, that that's the other thing. You know what it is? They're not baseball crazy. They're crazy for success. And you know what? Turns out the biggest amount of success comes from the Yankees. There you go, Tom. Bob Ryan tweeted out his Hall of Fame ballot today, mm-hmm. and he didn't vote for Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, and Manny Ramirez. Huh. Bob's still on his witch hunt, huh? Yeah. I'm still confused by the steroids thing. I mean, I'm as confused by baseball and steroids as I am when I read about uh, COVID variants and who is having success with it or why. I, it's was it, a, was it not allowed or was it allowed? Was it illegal? Was it not illegal? I think it was like speeding on the highway. It's like as long as you're not doing it egregiously and just leaving around the needles everywhere – like we're just going to turn a blind eye because because one of the biggest complaints on my social media about the Nomar stuff is that he was a steroid user. Mm, Jeter did it clean. And I'm like, OK, was that ever like confirmed? Of course it's confirmed. The only evidence they had is a Sports Illustrated cover where he had his shirt off. Well, there you go. I mean, you still, <laughs> oh, there you, you can go. Lead, you can lead a horse to water, Tom. I don't know. You I will say, if you in that era were that in to being beefed up to that degree, 
what, you're going to turn down the steroid when it's offered? I, I don't on, believe Tom. that. Come on, Tom. Grow up, man. Like, no, I'm going uh, to. that smile. Gonna... I mean, don't even fake it. We're, I can <laughs> see that smile, that shit-eating grin over there. Oh, what, we're supposed man? to believe that like Andy hey, Pettit took PEDs, wait, 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 but like wait, nobody hey. else on the Yankees ever did. Nope, Roger Clemens definitely didn't, right? Here's a question because we're all you know a bunch of washed-up dads. If somebody <laughs> could provide you steroids for free, wouldn't you just be a little curious? Would you do them? I feel like I would just oh, just give them a whirl, like you know? HGH. Okay, so this is yeah, I, definitely I, HGH. So definitely. I I used to I used to say no. Then I read like what HGH does, like because I was like no, because I'm still like I'm gonna go to the gym and work out. But then like I read that HGH like you have bad eyesight, like HGH makes your eyesight better. And, like yeah. it, it, it literally, I was like started reading like what it does. Like this is an amazing. Like why aren't we all on HGH? Then I did more reading and I realized HGH basically helps every all your regenerate <laughs> cells in your body, but yeah. also. If you have cancer, tiny undetectable cancer, oh, it'll accelerate HGH that. Will, will HGH the shit out of the cancer too? Yeah, that kind of scared me back into like saying, "Nah, no." But yes, Ethan, to answer your question, if there were a magic pill that I could take right now that would instantly make me feel energetic and flexible and remove all the pains from my body and make me fast and strong and I can <laughs> work out and not have a sore back afterwards and all that, I would absolutely take it. What are you talking about? Why wouldn't I take it? If we were told we can't drink coffee, like sports writers can't drink coffee anymore, or like if people on TV weren't allowed to wear makeup to make themselves look better. I didn't want to wear makeup, but they made me. I guess I'm just a Derek Jeter of this shit, huh? No coffee, no makeup, just just naturally clean and great. I feel like as a curious person, as somebody who's interested in life, and God, I want to tell this anecdote about Voltaire, but I really don't know how to tell it. Oh, Maze, you got to clip that. You got to clip that. <laughs> what a line. There's no way I can tell it. There's no way I can tell it, that I can tell it, but it's this exact it's this exact dynamic. Let's say the short version of the story is that Voltaire was going to one kind of brothel uh in Egypt with a buddy of his uh because there were a bunch of brothels back then. And then his buddy got him to go to the other kind of brothel and uh <laughs> <laughs> and so they went one night and then the next day his buddy says do you want to go back to the other kind of brothel and to that voltaire says no his buddy says why voltaire goes once a philosopher twice a something else so that's 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 the the, the sort of cobra swiveling around and uh, there we a go double philosopher <laughs> a bi philosopher <laughs> backdoor philosopher i don't i don't oh, know but, the, okay. but that's that's the that's the way those people talked back in the day is what i'm saying that's not what i'm you know what i mean but i'm just saying there's this attitude that we should have as intellectuals who use words that you know you, you try something out somebody gives you the steroid you try the steroid don't don't do steroids all the time but you know give it a whirl to paul pierce's credit he he continued his anti-lebron um campaign which i love i love this F fans i think get caught up and say like at every opportunity that he gets paul pierce is gonna hate on lebron and i'm like it's kind of endearing to me do we want our athletes to just on the court be like buddy buddy with everybody or do we like the fact that there was a rivalry between paul pierce and lebron they didn't like each other on the court and off the court he's going to continue to hold that 
And there's there's something in me that just thinks fans just want to complain. People just want to complain. When when Paul Pierce is saying ESPN is just a, a LeBron PR machine or you, you had to talk about LeBron all the time. That's one of the things he mentioned in the article. Um, people get upset about that as like sour grapes about LeBron is like, yeah, LeBron is amazing. You have to talk about him. He's, he's playing at an MVP level in 2021. Of course, you're going to have to talk about him, Paul Pierce. And I'm just kind of, I like that. I like that a player is continuing to be, I guess, authentically. I mean, I don't know if, how we're going to, you got to book him for the shit. The more you talk about this, Paul Pierce, the more I think I like the cut of this guy's jib. You gotta, you gotta book this Paul Pierce. So, so the, the thing about Paul, I think, that people don't understand is that he is, he says a lot of things that a lot of players think, but don't say out loud. And and I, I don't think people notice or understand or recognize that. So for example, a couple of years ago, Paul said, my career is just as good as Dwayne Wade. And he said something to the effect that, like, man, if I played with Shaq and, and LeBron James within the first seven years of my career, mm. I'd be fucking amazing too, right? And everyone was like, oh, how could Paul say that? Oh, and then obviously there's that that clip of Jalen Rhodes reading out the accolades and stuff. And I'm not saying I agree with Paul, but all I'm saying is you're an idiot if you think Paul's the only player who thinks that way. There's a shit ton of players who look at other guys and say, yeah, if I played with so-and-so and so-and-so, shit, I'd have three rings too. And, and I think that's something that when people say, well, Paul, was he good on TV? Was he not good on TV? I always appreciate that Paul spoke unapologetically like what was on his mind. And not everyone does that. Some people like say the things they think the public wants to hear. Romanticizing the game in a way public wants it to be romanticized or fits the political or social zeitgeist as well and i think people are easily tricked easily swindled when they feel as though it's what they want to hear in the first place i mean i I, it is funny to me i do see in some corners of nba twitter uh they'll say the same thing about women's basketball they'll say you'll never hear anything but praise and respect for women's basketball players from nba players you know like it's you other knuckle-dragging kind of schlub incel dudes who have anything bad to say. And I, I always look at it and I go, well, yeah, the NBA players are telling you what you want to hear. I mean, you're not going to hear the same thing necessarily in a private setting. They're not stupid. They know. They know They know what to say that's going to get them the easy applause line. There's no incentive for most people to have an opinion that goes opposite of whatever the prevailing conventional wisdom is because, especially when it comes to opinion, obviously we're not talking about fact. We're not talking about things like masks and vaccines and stuff like that. Where these are facts and then some people want to live in a fantasy world. But like to say whether or not you like WNBA basketball, that is a matter of opinion. Yeah. Some people like oranges. Some people like apples. Some people like both. Some people don't like the other. But you make it so that if you don't like this, you can't say that <laughs> because if you do, the mob comes. Unless you're Paul Pierce, apparently. Paul Pierce might be the one to do it. 
You mentioned Jalen Rose. This story, the interview with Chris Webber um, on ESPN this week ahead of his induction ceremony. Yeah, I thought it was an athletic. There is a bunch of them. Shams had one. There's another one at ESPN that I read. It was a one-on-one Q&A with Chris Webber, and they talked about Jalen Rose. And what I found fascinating from that interview is that what seemed like a very heartwarming segment, teary, emotional segment, where Jalen Rose and Maria Taylor on NBA Countdown brought on Chris Webber, and secretly Jalen Rose was going to tell him that he was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And so Chris Webber tells the story. He's like, I didn't know. ESPN never told me that Jalen was going to be on there because they just said, I'm going to talk to Maria and in five, four, three, two, one. And Jalen said in his ear, like, what up? And C-Web was like, oh, okay. And then they were on the air. And then afterwards, he was a little upset because he wasn't told that Jalen was going to be on there. He was ambushed by Jalen. <laughs> and so it seemed like a really cool segment of like bygones be bygones. Jalen and C-Web have finally talked. And in this story uh, on ESPN in this interview, he goes, uh, Jalen and I hadn't talked yet. We still haven't had that talk yet. And I was raised. I'm a man. My father raised me. If you have a problem with someone, you go find a room and talk it out amongst yourselves like men. And Jalen and I hadn't done that yet. And he knows that. And so that was kind of, um, that annoyed me was the fact that Jalen ambushed me on national TV and did that. To ESPN? Yep. What happened between those guys? Because it does seem just from the outside, like Jalen has had his arms out, uh, willing to embrace uh, Chris Weber and it's been it's been Weber who's been aloof and and hard to get at not really participating in the documentary about the Fab Five I mean there's got to be a lot that we just don't know behind the scenes but there there just seems to be something unrequited there honestly I don't know I I, I seem to remember it had something to do with Chris being the only one who didn't kind of accept the or, or uh, publicly like accept the responsibility of taking money from Ed Martin when everyone else had. And I think if he, if Chris had, then the school would have kind of like moved past the sanctions and all that stuff. But Chris's whole thing was like, don't apologize, double down. Yep. In a very Paul Pierce way, don't apologize, double down. And by the way, I, I support him in that because it doesn't matter. Uh, but ultimately you're right, Ethan, there's probably more to it that we don't know. And also the idea that people who were friends when they were, 18 and 19 mm. should, should still be best of friends when they're 44, 45, 46 is a little Pollyannic probably. They're apparently all the fab fiber are all going to get together at the C web induction ceremony this weekend. It's hard to make friends after age 30 though. I mean, this is not the direction I thought this podcast would go in, but I, I, I find it very difficult to make good friends past a certain age outside of industry because we have these experiences that are very unique uh, to what we do, but I, I just find it IRL after age 30. I, I'll give an example. There's there's a friend of mine. It was a few years ago when I knew I was past. What about your neighbor? Not my neighbor. Uh, although, shout out to my neighbor. He's an awesome dude. But uh, this is a few years ago. And, you know, I, it's a couple and uh, it's like kind of married couple. You hang out like a, like, you know, like a married couple and, he, and he's a good guy. He's in writing and everything else. And I was going to sous vide a steak 
And I suggested doing that. He was going to come over. We we're going to watch a game. I was going to sous vide a steak. And he is texting me like, ah, oh, you know, like my wife really wanted to try the sous vide steak. Can we push that off for another time? But I had already gotten the steak and now I'm mm. awkwardly like going, but how do I phrase that I've gotten the steak and I don't want to go get. And I was just thinking if it's one of my buddies from college, I just call him up and just come over and eat the steak, stupid. Hey, like, what are you doing? <laughs> eat the eat the eat the goddamn eat the goddamn steak. What are you making complications for? But when, once you're past eight, motherfuckers, eat the motherfucking steak. But after age 30, there's this kind of, you know, like, oh, but yeah, but I don't, you know, but I've got this. I want it. Just the etiquette starts to really layer at a certain point. I feel like the COVID stuff has like ramped all of that awkwardness up to like a thousand. It's dialed it up big time oh, because yeah. inviting like certain friends over, but not other friends. Are they vaccinated? Like how close should we be? Uh, all those dynamics come into play in 2021 and it just makes for even more awkward friendship like encounters. It's so easy to be lazy. I, I just noticed that the A's were playing a day game and I was thinking, you know, I want to go to an A's game. I enjoyed going to the day games of the A's, but I don't even know what the pro- the protocol might be exactly the same as before for all I know. I don't know what the protocol is, but I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to think about the ways in which it might be different. And it's just so much easier to just not do it and be lazy and avoid the whole thing. What do you mean? Just the protocol of going to a baseball? Like as far as what mask you got to wear? Yeah. Like, do I show a thing? Do I wear a mask here? Do I wear a mask there? Let me just announce right now to everybody in America. This might come as a shock to you. But these cities and these places where they say, hey, you got to have a vaccination. <laughs> they, 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 but it's, it's worse than not. I'd rather they don't enforce it. They're like, hey, they say they need proof vaccination, but they don't really. No one ever asks about it. I'd rather it be that than what it is right now, which is proof vaccination. You hold it up kind of like say, hey, I'm with the FBI. <laughs> bah, 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 and no one gives a shit. What are we doing? Like there's no cross-checking that my name is actually my name. <laughs> I'm just showing you a piece of paper and that's it. You and they're not even reading it. They're just like, mm-hmm, that looks like what it's supposed to. Look. It literally is the meme, the video of the of this the TSA, the, the fake, the, the dude at the stadium who's who's patting you down yep. and just like barely even touching you and just come on in. It is logical in a way. It's like we want to induce a certain behavior, but we're not totally sure we have the force of law to actually do it. So we're not really going to push it. But my thing is like all these anti-vaxxers. Do y'all realize you could just fucking fake it? <laughs> well, they're worried about, you know, one day they might not fake it. <laughs> one, day they'll, one day they'll go from being lazy about it to being quite diligent about it. You know, I think that's the uh, that's perhaps the fear or the technology will get so good. Because in theory, I mean, in theory, they could make it all digitized, I suppose. I, I don't Even that, know. I've, I, so I have mine digitized. Mine's on my phone. Oh, well, okay. This gets us to an but NBA topic, by the way. They didn't look at it. They just lean forward and tilt their nose up slightly higher <laughs> to indicate I'm reading. But like I could tell they're not. So you're oh, saying yeah, if yeah. I took a screen grab of your actual card and just had it pulled up a picture of that and walked in, they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Forget mine. I, you could take your wife's one. And now for something <laughs> completely different. NBA topic, NBA topic. I've seen these rules in cities where the NBA says, hey, 
uh, these players, they've got to conform to the to the rules in the San Francisco or in a New York City. Oh, I mean, I talked to a trainer who was like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> They're never going to check. That was such a BS story. Like <laughs> that San Francisco, New York players are not going to be allowed to go play basketball if they're not vaccinated or a proof of vaccination. But somehow visiting teams are? It's all BS. That's all I know is BS off the rip. because Home vax advantage, you know. Home vax disadvantage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I was just like, how does that make sense? Like the guy who's on a plane traveling all over everywhere, like that's the guy we're going to let play? How? And I realized, oh, it's because none of it matters. Ah, Silly me. Nobody cares. Nobody really cares. Obviously, it's 9-11 anniversary coming up. And for many of our listeners, I assume, travel has been the way it's been your entire life. Your entire life. You've had to take off your shoes. And go through this weird thing, and take the on the liquids only three ounces, and, and it's funny because we we did on Cinepo we did Passenger Fifty Seven, and the opening kind of credits are of like items going through the X ray belt, and the items were like audio cassettes and like a thirty two ounce of cologne or something, and I said, remember when you could just like literally just bring anything on? I hate to break this to some of our listeners who don't know, but Israel, which is Probably the country with the biggest security concerns, they don't do that stuff. They don't. No. You, <laughs> we just have a we That's just have point. a stupid arcane annoying thing that we started doing post nine eleven that that Israel doesn't even mess with when doing their security. We do it not because it's safe. We do it because it promotes a false sense of security. You're like guys, yes, safety theater. They made me take off my shoes. How like how could anything get by these these <laughs> cunning people? The restaurant around the corner is like the top restaurant in the city. Had like a COVID. One of their workers was exposed, and so they shut down the the restaurant. And on IG, they said we're also gonna we're gonna take a break. And then we're going to do a full clean of the restaurant. And I'm like, are they really going to do that? And secondly, that's just say, that's hygiene theater. That's all that is, is just saying to the to Insta, like, hey, we're going to do a full cleanse of our restaurant, our entire restaurant, when that is not how COVID. It shows a shift. So if there were no COVID, you wouldn't clean your restaurant? <laughs> no, this not. is extra. They're going extra, right? So I think it shows that there's a shift where before it was legitimate fear of the virus and now it's what do I got to do to be able to do what I want to do? It's just we have gone from the actual to the theater because that bubble in Florida, I think, was not theater. That was the NBA saying we are terrified of this virus and we're trying to keep the virus out. Now the NBA is going – yeah, this virus, it's bad, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily the most deadly thing for an athlete with 0% body fat. We don't want it around, but we're just kind of in the mode of what do these cities need to hear? What do we got to tell you so we can just do our thing and get and get people in the crowd? I mean, that seems to be the, the shift that's occurred. Yeah, and the trainer was like, um, they did a full season last year going in and out of states and city guidelines that were set up to not allow that to happen. Is like coming into a city and just traveling nonstop on airplanes that a lot of those cities were not allowed to do that according to the city statutes. Right. But the NBA got exempt from that. And I'm, I'm sure that when that story got reported, I forget who reported it. Of course, this is probably on NBA central. Um, 
that a lot of the GMs were like, that's not, that's not really going to be enforced. Like that's a non-story. Um, but like the, the other, the other side of this is, um, when you talk to people in the NBA this upcoming season, like I think there are going to be players who are not vaccinated. And the question is whether other stars who are not vaccinated are going to be held to the same double standard or the same standard as like the 15th guy on the bench. Because that's always going to be an issue with certain GMs and coaches are like, hey, you better treat LeBron, Chris Paul, Stephen Curry, Kawhi Leonard, all the same as, you know, Patrick Beverly or Josh Hart or whoever it is. Who's enforcing it though? Lawyers, maybe the NBA. It's just things that we say because they sound good. It makes us sound like we're on top of our shit. That's all it is. It's all. It's it's the same. It's no different than the performative uh, statement of saying like WNBA basketball is as good, if not better, than the NBA. Hmm. No one's checking, right? <laughs> no one's checking. And again, I'm not saying that statement as fact or as something ridiculous. I'm just give, bringing it out as an example of. Something you can say. Would you want them to enforce it strictly? Is that something you would want? Like in the honestly, we can tie it to baseball and steroids. Where I, I don't know if the strict enforcement is necessarily what the league wants in the end. No, it's 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 what makes marijuana on the banned substance list one of the stupidest moves in the history of of our sport. It's something that happened only after the 1998 collective bargaining agreement, and it was like, wait a second. Why are we testing for something that literally has no impact on our game other than the bad PR of someone testing positive for it? So if we never test for it, no one ever tests positive for it, nobody cares. Steven Jackson was never suspended for marijuana. He was always constantly in the program. And he's like, once you're in the program, man, (laughs) you're good. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's just a waste, a waste of time and a waste of resources. Now, the difference is when you talk about um, COVID, there is an impact. This virus is extremely uh, communicable and uh, with dire, uh, uh, you know, results. So there is a reason for us to be vigilant and to enforce it crazy and all that. So there is an actual reason. But if you're not going to do it, then just shut the fuck up about it. I don't want to, like, don't piss on me and tell me it's raining. Just piss on me. Say, I'm pissing on you. If LeBron spread it to everybody on the Lakers and it became a thing, what player does he get to take the fall for him? Oh, on last year's team or this year's team? This year's team. Kuz for sure last year. Yeah. (laughs) 1,000% it's Kuz. Oh, Dwight, right? I mean, can you do an imitation of Jared Dudley solemnly accepting the job? <laughs> Braun, Braun, here's what I'll do. I'll I'll take the rap. <laughs> you got to hook me up with Jake Kidd next year. Looking at the Lakers roster now. Oh, I got I got some some. Isn't it Dwight? No, it's not Dwight. You got Taylor Horton Tucker because he's 12 years old, so you could say he picked it up at school. <laughs> You've got Kendrick Nunn, who's already a fuck up. Like right, like he's a, he's already got that on his on his resume. Yeah, and then Dwight would probably be my. Favorite. I mean, that's that's what a lot of it is. I mean, not only is the disease potentially deadly uh, for certain kinds of people, but there's this stigma. You don't want to be the one to spread it. You don't want to be the one who is known. I was terrified. I had norovirus in the 2019 finals in Canada, uh, and it started hitting me. It, it, it rifled through my son's daycare. 
I tried to stay away. I stayed away a few days, a few days at my mom's house, but my wife wanted to help in the end. I spent one day. I started feeling it in line at customs at Pearson Airport in Toronto. Just all bad. Uh, spinning, uh, just, just everything bad. Everything bad. One of the just sickest I've ever been. And then I started getting worried because it's the finals. I've got to do stuff for the athletic. I got to write stuff. I've got to go to stuff. You never, I mean, it's that subjective call of when am I actually completely well? And I was just haunted by this idea of, am I going to ruin the 2019 NBA finals? (laughs) Am I going to show up? Hey guys, how about some interviews? And I'm just sweating and keeping it together. Outbreak Strauss. (laughs) Coming to a theater near you. One man. Steph Curry out with flu-like <laughs> symptoms. <laughs> because norovirus... Thought the press room was safe. <laughs> it, it, norovirus, incredibly communicable. And I just knew that thing would spread like crazy if I gave it an inch. Covering the finals. And yet, it was the final for everybody. Coming to a theater near you, Outbreak Strauss. If this was Cinephobe, I absolutely would have leapt on it. If you spread, if you give it an inch, like, like, oh man, that's just <laughs> tension. <laughs> My kids had been out of school, out of physical school for basically a year and a half. They went back at the end of the second week. One of them came back sick. And we're like, holy shit. Is this it? One of the twins came back. Said, oh shit. Is this it? Like went to school, been healthy. No one has been sick in our house of any sort for a year and a half. Kids go to school for two weeks, come back with some shit. Take both twins because they share a room together to go get tested. Nothing. I get tested. Nothing. It starts to spread throughout the house. Go to the (laughs) doctor days later. Doctor's like, nothing on the PCR. It's it's RSV. It's just a virus. And I was like, Mm. When just a virus is a thing, Remember, like you think oh, you're yeah. really sick. I got sick a virus. You go to the doctor, doctor's like, you got a virus. It'll be like three or four days, and you'll be done. Yeah. And th- and now all that shit is gone. But it's just like it's so crazy to me, man, that I know exactly where all diseases come from. It comes from school. Yeah. Yeah. It comes from these fucking kids. They go to school, they come back with shit, and then when it gets into us, it's like a hundred times worse. And now we're walking around like zombies. But yeah. my whole thing is like, okay, I know I'm not quote-unquote sick i don't have the vid but i am sick so now every time i cough like i feel <laughs> very self-conscious everyone's looking at me like this oh is yeah fucker here, you know? yep. even with that when i'm in public places with a mask on if i have a tickle in my throat i'm turning purple i am turning purple trying to hold that in i'm izzy gutierrez on on tv i do think the vid is one of those things where if you got it you know it I don't know. Have you caught it? Have either of you caught it? No, no, have not. No, I, I, I haven't either. But I know I've thought I caught it nine million times. Yeah, because I, as soon as I feel any symptom, ooh, a little scratch in my throat. Oh shit! This is how it happens. I knew I shouldn't have gone to that McDonald's drive-through. Like, I mean, just like because <laughs> it's everywhere. And the whole thing is, it's not even like, oh yeah, man, I knew I shouldn't have made out with that bottle waitress at this crowded club. It's not that. It's like you know. The regular rhythms of your day-to-day life put you at risk at all moments because everybody else is a piece of fucking shit that can't just wear a mask and get vaccinated. <laughs> That's why. It's not because of any other reason other than that. 
See, you have you have a very different view of the whole thing than I do. I think I'm more fatalistic than you are. I don't take any crazy risks. I'm not going to some uh, techno club in Berlin. Um, and, and have you gone to just, a wedding in the past year? No, I have. Thought I got sick there. Have you been invited to a wedding that you wanted to go to but declined? Yeah, but travel's involved. Shout out Rob Mahoney. I haven't really put myself in position, but I also have this kind of fatalism of whatever happens, happens. I, I, I feel like Amin is of the mentality that this can all be very controlled and he is vigilant. It absolutely good. Wow. Looking at Ethan judging Amin's lifestyle right there. You I'm not judging. It? I'm just looking at the I haven't put the rich myself pa- in position to get COVID. I'm looking at the rich pageantry of life's perspectives and, and looking at Amin's perspective. I'm getting a read on Amin. I'm going, Amin's got a little bit of germaphobe tendencies. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, that's okay. That's fine. But the reality is, Ethan, it's, it should be easily controllable if we're not in a fucking nation of morons like it's it should be easily controllable but i've already resigned myself to that you know you have to just have the you have to have good enough expectation you have to have the correct expectation it's unfortunately the the area of my life where i wish i didn't have optimism but i still have it i still kind of want to believe that not everyone is fucking i'm surprised I'm surprised things are as functional as they are. I'm surprised that I turn the knob on my sink and water comes out. I mean, I'm like pleasantly surprised that society functions as well as it does. I need a dose of that. That sounds great. Sounds like a great way to go through life. Just be excited when your door opens. Oh, the the door actually like turns. Yeah, there's somebody who knows how to build this thing. You know, like I don't have the kinds of expectations Sabine does that if only everybody uh, was on this level or if only they could do this or that. I just feel like I I'm amazed. I am amazed that we get anything done in this giant, just uh, crazy country of art. There was a study of some epidemiologists, uh, believe Michael Lopez on Twitter, uh, sports epidemiologists found out that in the NFL season last year, the protocols that the NFL implemented was associated with a 60% drop in COVID cases compared to the community spread of the same gender and age group of NFL players. The NFL protocols caused basically a 60% decline in COVID mm. cases hmm. as, as, as much as the community spread in their cities. They were 60% below. Not 100%. Not fifty, sixty percent. Well, I feel like, and I feel NFL players would be would be spreading it like crazy. I mean, you read about NFL players; it's just they're not exactly risk averse. That's not a profession that selects for risk aversion. No, uh, to do harm to yourself and others uh, for dollars, and they blow off some steam, man, uh, with the way they party. I mean. Yeah, so maybe maybe there's some low hanging fruit there. If you have some protocols, you could really cut into it. But uh, yeah, it's um, I don't even I I I feel like what we've learned from the past year or so is whatever's going on. These sports have basically told themselves that we're doing our thing. Uh, we're gonna have our games. We're pushing ahead. We're not afraid like we were a little bit over a year ago. And so. Regardless of what's happening. But there's a trade-off. There's a trade-off, right? Yeah. Because the NBA said the bubble, we had zero cases. And outside of that bubble in, in Orange County, Florida, was the whole city was on fire with COVID. Hmm. And the, every, both parties were like, yep, we're not doing that again. Like, we got to find a middle <laughs> ground here. Like, we got, yeah. we're not doing that again. 
whether it was a mental toll or if it was a social toll of of the bubble, like the NBA and the players were like, yeah, we can't we can't possibly do that. No matter if we had zero cases, that was untenable. So yeah, I think it's all on a spectrum. Chris Weber, Paul Pierce, Chris Bosch shouts to CB. Shouts to Jason Jackson. At the radio job. At the Miami Heat. Such a great voice that guy has. Oh, he's just a big teddy bear. <laughs> As we turn our attention to the third hour. The highly coveted third hour. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so many good voices. The voices of the, the Heat announcers' voices oh, on, yeah. on TV as well. You, Donis, you did it. Fan of the numbers. You're Miami Oh, they really do have a bunch of voices. Uh, Karate kind of stands aside as like, dose. Little mundane. <laughs> little mundane there, Karate. I, I need you to kind of mix it up for me. Mm, no, they got some good stuff. I, I uh, yeah, they. I, I enjoyed the era of LeBron heat dominance. I think that was a, that was a fun era informed by some of the, uh, some of the, the the characters surrounding that situation. Yeah, you know what? Derek Teeter didn't make my career. It was LeBron. Let's be honest. Thank you, LeBron. A little bit. Hey, let's wrap here. Thank you, LeBron. You did it. Thank you, uh, CB. Thank you, LeBron. Thank you, you, LeBron. Ray Allen and Pat Riley are presenting the award. I find that that interesting, who they choose to present the award. So Ray Allen and and Pat Riley are presenting it for CB. What did you think it should be? I mean, the greatest assist of Chris Bosh's career, if not one of the greatest assists in NBA history. It has to be someone who's already in the hall who accompanies you. That's right. So that's right. Who else would it be for him? Is Jose Calderon in? <laughs> no, sadly not yet. KG is presenting for Paul Pierce. Vladi is presenting for Rick Adelman. Did you guys know, by the way, I mean, I, I wrote this. I, I wrote about uh, Clutch uh, and some of the machinations behind it. I was not aware that Kevin Garnett lost $77 million to his financial advisor. Yeah, man. Read the story with Tim Duncan. I think it's the same guy. Yeah, same guy. And Tim Duncan, when he went to court, KG testified against Tim Duncan for the financial advisor that swindled Tim Duncan. And then later on, KG was swindled by the same guy, the financial advisor. I'm just so fascinated. But Tim Duncan was like, yo, are you serious, KG? You're really going to testify against me that this dude is legit against me in court. I have a story idea. Okay, so. <laughs> Substack. Substack, baby. Oh, House of Strauss Substack. Uh, yeah, I wrote about Clutch. I wrote about the marriage between Rich Paul and Andy Miller, uh, one of the most renowned and, let's face it, sleaziest agents in the NBA who now is running a lot of aspects of Clutch, allegedly, because he's not allowed to represent players anymore following the FBI scandal but uh that article is a good one to read uh i've got other ones i've been writing my ass off guys i feel like i am i i'm barely aware that's all that's all as i'm doing some some promo right here you might like it you might hate it but i'm just trying to work as hard as i can now that it's now that it's on me and uh i hope that some of you out there can support me because i'm frankly having a great time doing it so yeah. house of trust substack subscribe today mm-hmm.